Welcome to the Good Friday service. It's a blessing to be with you all. If you want to turn to John chapter 3, we'll, we'll be there and, and almost everywhere. We'll be in several places today, but that's the main thing. What a privilege to worship our Lord, to remember our Savior and all he's done. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your, your gift of eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for his sacrifice and for his great love, your love for us, that you would seek and save those who are lost. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word today, that you would remind us again of your greatness. You would reveal new things to us, that we'd learn and grow and draw close to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really blown away by God coming to earth. Isn't it amazing that he would come here and walk amongst us? He would become a man. Like there's, there's no comparison to what God has done in becoming human flesh. Even if I chose to be a worker ant for the remainder of my life, it cannot compare to what God did in becoming a man, walking among sinful people. Uh, he created the universe with the words of his mouth. He spoke the world into existence. And then he came here and dwelt among us, us being sinful. He established seasons and days, months, and years, and, and uh, a Friday every seventh day. And we meet on this Good Friday, uh, not, be, not just to celebrate a long weekend or uh, a day off. I mean, we, we like Fridays because it's the beginning of the weekend. But God chose to die on Friday, like God and, and he laid down his life. He did it willingly. It wasn't snuffed out. It wasn't, it, he chose to save us. And uh, we should celebrate and remember him always for what he has done. He created a good world, but man rebelled against him. And the result of that sin, it brought death. And unwilling that any should perish, God said, he, he decided to come to earth. And Imagine being born knowing that you would someday die on a cross, be crucified for the sins of the world, knowing that your whole life. Uh, knowing that you are destined for glory, but it was through the cross that it would be, that painful separation from the Lord, from God. Um, and I thought before we get into Good Friday itself that we actually look back to Jesus and how he was conceived. Because he, he chose to be constrained within time. He chose to be constrained within a body, and he was even constrained in a womb. He, was, he chose to be there, and he developed like you and I did in the wombs of our mothers. In Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And that prophecy is in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Joseph and Mary, they were betrothed. In that culture, you were legally married before you actually lived together. And it was more than being engaged, being betrothed. And while that betrothal period was happening about a year long, suddenly Mary falls pregnant. And Joseph is like, oh man, how, how, is, how can I make this go away quietly? Because he didn't want to expose her to public humiliation and scrutiny. But God revealed to him what has been conceived in her. The, the child, the boy, the little boy inside of her that's growing is Jesus the one who will save people from their sins. It says, Emmanuel, God with us. God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible reveals that there's one God revealed in three persons or in Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And to leave the glories of eternity and heaven and to go inside a uterus and be there for nine months, and then be born without teeth, without the ability to speak, to be totally reliant upon people, young parents who'd never been parents before, just it's, it boggles the mind that anyone with the power and authority that God has, that he would stoop to our level. And as Jesus grew, he obeyed the law of Moses. He subjected himself to the law. He subjected himself to his parents. Mary and Joseph as a son, he was also subject to the will of the Father to one day die for sinners. And being God made flesh, it was also his plan to redeem mankind, to atone for their sin. Now about, around the, about 30 years of age is when Jesus began ministry uh, preaching repentance in the kingdom of God, the way having been made by John the Baptist. He was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he called 12 disciples to follow him. Now in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus did many miracles and signs that pointed to his divinity and the, the truth of what he said. Because when Jesus preached repentance in the kingdom of God, there were signs that he did, like with the man who was paralyzed, where he said, what's easier to say to this paralyzed man, uh, your sins are forgiven, you arise and walk. Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because no one knows if the sins have actually been taken away. But to say rise and walk to a paralyzed person, that requires real power. That's evidenced among everyone. And so he says, so you know I have the power to forgive sins, that I'm God. I say to you, Mr. Paralyzed Man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And everyone's like, wow, this is amazing. And some people connected the dots, but others, they didn't believe. They didn't understand. And Nicodemus, he's like, we've seen these signs and these miracles. We know you must be of God. You must have come from God. You seem to have God's power because no one can do the things you do unless God's with him. What he didn't understand is that Jesus didn't just do those signs because God was with him, but he was God himself. That's why he was able to do these signs. 
He was more than just a man of God. He was God made flesh. He walked among us. Skipping forward to verse 13 of John 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, being the way, the truth, and the life, he was sent from God, but he was himself God. And he was perfectly familiar with the things of heaven because he lived there. He dwelt there. He created it. It reminds me of uh, Proverbs 30, verse 4. And let's see if you guys can pass this test. The question is, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? And that's Proverbs. That's old school. And there we see, he ascended into heaven and descended. I imagine when Jesus said these sort of things and Nicodemus wondered if Jesus really meant or understood what he was saying. But it was Nicodemus who didn't understand who Jesus was and his power. He isn't alone. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this in his book, God in the Dock. It's a collection of his uh, essays. He says, what are we to make of Jesus Christ? This is a question which has, in a sense, a frantically comic side, for the real question is not we are, what we are to make of Christ, but what is he to make of us? The picture of a fly sitting deciding what, what's going to make of an elephant has comic elements to it. The, great of a great, the idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. The only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. So either Jesus was deluded or he was speaking the truth because he claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus, in this passage, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus hearkens back to something that happened in Jewish history early on. If you want to turn there, it's in Numbers chapter 21. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, made of them a great nation. Yet things weren't easy in the wilderness. The people became very discouraged because of the way that God led them. They, they, they had an expectation to come out of Egypt, to go into the promised land, that it would be easy and quick. But the way was long. And they were discouraged. They, they despised the food. They complained they didn't have water, even when God had provided everything for them. And in verse 5 of Numbers 21, it says they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. And for their sharp and biting words, God sent venomous snakes among them. And they bit some of the people, and the people started dying. They realized that God was sending these snakes to bite them, and it moved them to repent. Verse 7 of Numbers 21, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that who, anyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a certain ha- serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Moses, the people come to him, and they say, Pray for us that God would send these snakes away. We've sinned. And he went and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said, Make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and lift it up high. Anyone who looks at it, if they've been bitten, they'll be healed. You can survive your snake bite if you just look at this snake that's on a pole. Now imagine if you were there among the tents, and, and there's suddenly an infestation of these very aggressive and venomous snakes. That's probably some of your worst fears, right? Uh, you're like, wow, that's not fun. I would not want to be there. Uh, and, and suddenly, as you're backing away, trying to find cover, something bites you on the hand. And you see it hanging there, and you're like, ah, you're panicking, right? Now, that's rule number one. I don't need to probably tell anyone here that in Australia, we have our fair share of venomous snakes. Um, the rules of thumb are, don't panic. Has anyone here ever been bitten by a venomous snake? Not a dry bite. It's like hanging off of you and you're feeling the effects. Not many. But anyway, if that's happening to you, I think the natural thing is to panic, right? And then call triple zero. There's a lot of good help that we have, medical assistance that can be delivered. On the Health Direct website, it says, do not, all caps, do not apply a tourniquet, cut the wound, or attempt to suck the venom out. Now, why do you suppose they put that there? <laughs> That's what people try to do. They, they, they're panicking, or maybe they're doing it completely calm. But they've heard that they can do something to help. But they find that these sort of remedies do not help. It actually is a hindrance to the medical team that's going to come and administer the first aid. Those, those remedies aren't going to help you from a snake bite. See, the God who made the snakes, he knows how to heal you of the snake bite. And God is the one, when we have sinned, he tells us how to be cured of our sin, how to be free of it forever. I bet there are a lot of people who were bitten and said, what, looking at a snake is going to heal me? Where's the scientific evidence? Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to look at some dumb snake. I need to, you know, and they're cutting themselves. They have someone sucking the venom out. But it wasn't helping. There was only one way that they could be cured of these snakes. That was just to look at this bronze serpent. A bite from a venomous snake, it can mean the the death of tissue and the death of the body. But sin, it kills body and soul of all afflicted by it which is to break God's commands, to not believe him, to to lie, to steal. Basically, we're all guilty before God without remedy in ourselves. There's nothing we can do to get rid of our sin and our guilt. But God has made a way through Jesus that we can be born again, that we can be forgiven, that we can be restored and made whole. And that's through Jesus Christ in John 12 Verse 32 and 33, he says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The traditional form of execution among the Jews was stoning. That's when you're thrown down. 
But he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all, all people to myself. And that means you. That means me. He draws us to himself. And there's no one who's too sinful. There's no one who's been bitten by that snake too many times. And, and that you cannot be healed through looking to Jesus. Long before he was betrayed and flogged, before the nails were driven through his hands and his feet, before the crown of thorns was pressed into his brow, Jesus knew that he would be crucified and lifted up in the presence of people for a purpose, that people could receive eternal life. They could have abundant life through him, that he would be a sacrifice as that lamb of God without blemish or spot. God said through the prophet again, many hundreds of years before Jesus came in Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. Look to me. Look to Jesus. As Jesus hung on that cross, he was bleeding and dying. There was a sign above his head that said, the king of the Jews. There were a lot of people who saw him on that day, but they didn't believe him. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They didn't believe that he had been sent from God. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 27, starting at verse 39. They didn't believe that Jesus was God made flesh. They thought he needed saving. And in their accusations, we can see that the claim that Jesus made to be a Savior, it's throughout. In their self-righteous pride, they looked at Jesus and they didn't see their need to be saved of anything. Matthew 27, verse 39. And don't jump away because we're going to skip a bit and go to the end. Matthew 27, 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him. So this is Jesus on the cross, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. There's no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God because of the things that they're throwing in his face right now. And this fulfills the prophecy written in Psalm 22, 7 and 8. The people had once asked Jesus for a sign of his authority, and he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of his body. That's in John 2, 19. The priests also accused Jesus of claiming to save people. They said, Oh, he saved others. And they said, we'll believe you if you come down from the cross. And I've heard it said, and I, I think this is true, that we don't believe in Jesus because he came down from the cross, but because he stayed on the cross. The physical pain was excruciating. The ridicule and rejection Jesus faced after coming to people that he created and loved and wanted to see saved, and they were just mocking him, and they refused him. Jesus did die. He breathed his last. He said, it is finished. And the followers of Jesus were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They grieved over what could have been. 
not realizing what Jesus had accomplished when he said, it is finished, and the veil was torn, and the rocks were split, and bodies that were dead came to life and were seen. Jesus knew that a grain of wheat must die and be planted before it can produce much grain. And by his death, Jesus would give life and light to all who trust in him. Moving on in Matthew 27, in verse 57. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself also had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. The Roman governor Pilate, he granted authority for Joseph of Arimathea to remove the body from the cross, to lay it in his tomb. And with the help of many disciples, he was buried according to their traditions. He was wrapped there were, there were spices placed on him, about 30-plus kilos of different spices that they wrapped him with. And they placed his body in a new tomb carved out of the rock. So there, wasn't a, there, were, there weren't any bodies in this tomb, and there was only one access point to get in, and that was covered by a massive stone that took many people to move. The Gospel of Luke, it includes this really awesome discussion between the chief priests who had been mocking Jesus and Pilate. And they said, you know, this deceiver, when he was alive, he kept talking about rising from the dead. And we don't want anyone, you know, he's not going to rise from the dead. We, we, we don't, but we don't want people to pull a fast one. We don't want the disciples to come and steal the body. So we want it to be extra secure. And he says, make it as secure as humanly possible. So they had it under guard. They sealed it. They put a seal on it that if you broke that seal, it meant death. This they did. And really, when you think about Good Friday, it's the darkest day of human history where the light of the world was in darkness. That Jesus nailed to a cross and buried in a cold tomb in darkness the one who had promised to save, the one that people looked to as their Messiah and King. He was dead, and all hope seemed lost. From noon to 3 p.m. as Jesus hung on the cross, the whole world was actually plunged into this eerie darkness. And then Jesus said, it's finished. And it seemed like everything was over. All hope was gone. But I invite you again today to look at Jesus, lifted up, being the Son of God, that God became flesh. God chose to become a man, born of a woman. He lived among us. He did many miracles and signs. He spoke the truth. People knew that he was a man of God. There were some who believed he was God because he claimed to be. And what would have been the end for every other man in existence was the glorious beginning of salvation that we have received as followers of Jesus. That bronze serpent Moses lifted up on a pole, it was an inanimate object. It did not have a will of its own. It had been fashioned and just put up there. But Jesus laid down his will in Gethsemane. 
He said, not my will, but yours, Father, be done, so that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's we who have the choice if we're going to believe him, trust him, or follow him, or not. It's not so much of what you make of Jesus, but what he makes of us when we're born again by grace through faith. I want to proclaim something from 1 Timothy 3.16. As I was uh, preparing for this message, this verse just came to mind, and it's so cool. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And that's the revelation of it. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Good Friday was a dark day, but Sunday is coming. Great is our God. He is so worthy to be praised for his humility, his humanity, and his deity. What a great God who would love us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the salvation you brought us through Jesus. And Lord, we are those who are under the curse. It's like we are those folks in those tents bitten by snakes with no hope except to trust you and to look upon you and receive salvation and forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you that your, your call to salvation has gone throughout the whole earth. That's not just for the Jews. It's not just for people who live at that time or in Israel, but for us. That with eyes of faith, we look upon Jesus now and we say, He is the Son of God. He is our Messiah and Redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for giving us new life, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All praise, glory, and honor to Him now and forever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.